Wow. Blog Talk Blog Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. All right, bless people. Welcome to the show. There you go. There you go. There it All is. Right. Now, All hang right. on, and we are official. There we go. All right. <laughs> they finally shut up again for us. Uh, we have a guest tonight, Nathan Carlson. He's the winemaker and general manager of Center of Effort Winery in California, in the uh, Edna Valley in California. So he will be joining us shortly. But before he gets here, uh we'll always give you the good thing. Seven oh one PM Thursday, October twenty second, twenty twenty. So if you're gonna contact us, do it now. If not, we're gonna be on archives. But a couple of quick announcements uh from uh the uh past shows and the people who've been on the past shows uh, last week we had uh, uh, Michael. Jeez, I no. don't think it was no. <laughs> Jim Lockren. Jim. Oh, Jim. Yeah, Jim. Jeez, I, I had a blank on his name. Last week we had Jim on the program, and Jim has been uh, promoting us big time. He's he's put us on his. His side, he's been uh, telling people about us. He's been doing all sorts of stuff and letting people know about all about wine and everything. So thank you, Jim. If you happen to be listening to this show, we do appreciate the shout-outs and all that stuff there. That was very nice of you. He's put a lot of stuff up, um, you know, six or seven different I know posts. That, uh, I guess- our guest tonight did the same thing. He uh, right, right uh, maybe 30 minutes, an hour ago, uh, posted uh, and he's looking forward to it. So uh, oh, thank you for God. that and for making our post for tonight too. Thank you. Oh, I, I didn't see that one yet. Yeah, I, I saw Jim pop up a couple of times there. And then uh, uh, we've got some other guests coming up um, in November. I have been talking to some people over the last uh, few days, actually. And we have uh, November 15th guest, and I think it's 15th. I don't have my calendar in front of me. Where's my calendar? There it is. Uh, we have a guest coming up on November 12th uh, and one on the 19th. So we have a couple guests coming up in November already, and one of them is a podcaster, and one of them used to work as a circus performer before he got into winemaking. So we've got some good stories coming up in November there. And next week, we are doing our Halloween show. We have missed that in the last couple of years, but we used to do Halloween shows and Halloween months all the time in October. And we got away from it for some reason. But we are scheduled a... Halloween show next week. Joy Neighbors will be joining us again. She's been a guest in the past during our haunted month, and she'll be joining us again. So tune in next week for your Halloween show. Looks like we might have Nathan sitting there waiting for us. Let me go get him. Hello, Nathan. Welcome to the show. Hey there. Really nice to be with you guys. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, we're um, we're a little tired and sticky from harvest out here, but we're doing well. Yeah, I was just gonna say you you 
but you are finished with harvest now, huh? You you're not at the end. Well, we have a we have a little bit of Grenache still on the estate that will probably come in late next week. Um, we're going to pick about three tons of it tomorrow, and then the balance of the block uh, later in the week. And then uh-huh. um, we do some winemaking for clients as well, and we have a bit of fruit for them as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was noticed that you do uh, take care of other people besides yourself, so that has to keep you busy just doing that. So that's uh, yeah, it does, and it. Uh, We'll probably be busy up until about Thanksgiving just with the press-offs and all the work that kind of follows up after harvest. Yeah, it it gets quite hectic, I know. You know, talk to people, and it's it's always nice to get someone on during harvest because it can be a very numbing time for you out there. I understand that. Uh, A lot of questions for you. Uh, you, You're from... A winery called Center of Effort. I'm going to let you explain, to start with, where that name came about. Yeah, absolutely. So Center of Effort, we're a, a all-estate winery on the central coast of California within the Edna Valley Appalachian. It's a very cool coastal region where we focus on Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, Center of Effort, the name itself, was chosen by the owners, and it uh, center of effort is a term in, in sailboat racing. It's a point within the sails where the forces of the wind come together and, and move the boat through the water. Uh, the analogy for winemaking is it takes a lot of different disciplines to line up in the right direction to make, uh, to make a wine successful. So that's, that's where that came from. Oh, it just when I first saw it, center of effort, I'm going center of effort, you know, not being a selling person myself, it caught me off guard. So uh, I, it, it makes sense. Yes, it's a, that's a good name. Uh, you mentioned the owners. Uh, give us the history. How did Center of Effort get started to the owners? Uh, why there? Did they own land? Uh, did they fly out to California and say, I want a winery there? What happened? <laughs> well, so Bill and Cheryl Swanson own the winery, and they have since 2008. They, um, they both grew up here on the Central Coast within – they were high school sweethearts at Mora Bay High School, and Bill went to Cal Poly and studied um, engineering there on a golf scholarship. He went on huh. to work for Raytheon, and, um, yeah, he, he retired from Raytheon about five, five years ago as wow. the CEO and president of the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so that was – he still had a few years at Raytheon when I came on board uh, to manage the wine project here. He, he, his grandfather had farmed grapes in the Central Valley, and he you know, had come to know wine and love wine and really wanted to have a wine project here um, in, in, this, in this area that's really special to them. And, the, um, and in fact, the winery itself is the, it's an older winery. This was a, it was established as the Lawrence Winery, in 1978, this is one of wow. the older production facilities here in the valley, and it was one of the first places that they went wine tasting together. So, even a, a lot of people come through here, and when we tour them through the cellar, you can see the, the tile work on the floor where the old tasting room used to be. And and so it's nostalgic for a lot of people. And a, a lot of great winemakers have passed through here over time. So there's a lot of kind of a touchstone for our area. I, I one thing that you said there that uh, caught my ear. You said his grandfather did winemaking in Central Valley. That is so different from this area. Uh, it it just seems like night and day. The Central Valley being so hot, and you know all the Central Valley stuff, and then getting on the coast like this. It's uh, such a difference. Yeah, I think that it was more the. I think it's the draw of the agriculture and. I know Bill has talked about good memories that he has of uh, his grandfather kind of gathering everyone, the whole family together, and, um, and you know, that, that the, he made his own wine. Primarily, I believe it was a table grape um, vineyard, but he would make his, his own wine. And, in fact, I have in my office um, the name of his – when he packed his table grapes, it was called Full Sale. And, in fact, that's the name of one of our – one of the business entities that we have in um, – I have one of his old packing labels as a framed up uh, piece in my office as well. So it's oh. definitely that agriculture runs really deep in 
in the ownership. It sounds like it does, yes. Uh, so uh, just I looked through the website and all that. There's this couple of neat pictures there. The One of the pictures has the big tanks and all the buildings. Is that where you do everybody else's work, and then you all do yours closer to the tasting room? Is is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we, I say everybody else's, all the of, other. Yeah, Go we on. we I would say that we're about five to ten percent of the total production of the winery in a given year, and a lot of the our scale winemaking is very very hands on. Uh, you know, whole cluster um, fermentations are part of it. We are sorting every cluster and berry that comes through for center of effort, and then on the other side, we're making more commercial wines and. We're probably making pieces of wines that all of your, you know, all of your audience has had or may have in their, in their cellar right now. So it's kind of more part of the mid-sized commercial winemaking of California, whereas we're yeah. very, very focused on the state. A lot of uh, a lot of wineries do do bottling for other other wineries. I, that's one of the mainstays of California. It seems like. Um, so. Before I get into the wines and the other stuff, one of the things that really caught my eye when uh, I was first contacted was your new certification. You are now SIP certified. Tell us what SIP certified is and how you come about being SIP certified and what it involves. And I mean, I, I just from what I read from it, it's like, oh, wow. But, you know, what, uh, I'll let you tell yeah. everything thing that goes well, into yeah, it. Happy to. We So SIP certification means sustainability in practice, and it grew out of the Central Coast Vineyard Team, which is a group that started to meet in the early 90s in the Central Coast, um, and they started with tailgate meetings, just learning from each other, learning from other farmers how to improve practices. They eventually created a set of standards and a self-assessment uh, system and Excuse the idea me. was Nathan? that every year – Nathan. I'm sorry? Yes. Central Coast, what parameters are we speaking? Well, I would say – I'm not going to be maybe exactly right, but say Santa Barbara County north to the San Francisco Bay. Oh, all okay. That, so all the way up to San Francisco. Okay. That's, I just wanted yeah, a, a rough getting, parameter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty big appellation, but – the, the heart of it is really probably Monterey and Paso Robles and Santa Barbara County. Like that, okay. that is probably the bulk of it. Um, okay. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted out. to get a, a, a perimeter there. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. We, um, that group created the set of standards and a self assessment um, system. And it was probably in about 2010 or 2009 that they, they came out with an actually audited program. And so now, Every year, we are audited by a third party. They come in and look at how we have – largely, it's how we keep records on, um, on our practices in the vineyard. And so there are sections that include, you know, looking at what kind of, um, what kind of measures we're taking culturally to prevent disease, whether we're farming um, under best practices, and, and, um, and if we're farming at an economically sustainable level as well. So we, we generally are looking at what blocks are in decline and need to be removed or replanted. Are we growing varieties that make sense for the area? There's a big part of it that, um, that looks at how we treat our, uh, our community, our employees. And so uh, there's a, it's interesting that there's a, a really human element, there's an environmental element, and there's a financial element as well. The, One thing, I, the new. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. the uh, the new The new certification that we just attained. So we have had uh, the SIP certification for all our farming operations since 2014, but the um, the new certification is a winery certification program. Oh, and so okay. now it's looking at how we operate in production, um, how our energy and water resources are utilized and, and tracked. And so we are the first uh, custom winemaking facility. So as we make wine for other other um, businesses, we're the first custom winemaking um, business that has attained that that uh, that certification. Wow, 
Well, congratulations. That is, is quite a coup, it sounds. Uh, but I, I noticed it's the, the little paper that says here that the, the rules called the standards require a measurable, holistic set of practices addressing habitat, water, energy, soil, recycling, air quality, packaging, pest management, social equity, and business management. It's just like it seems like that would be a full-time job just trying to address all those things there. You know, you'd be surprised, but if you're running a, a, you know, if it's a well-run business, you're thinking about most of those things anyway. And um, just putting metrics in place and goals in place, it really can help you to, um, I think it actually has helped me to get my team behind this. Like when we make this a mandate or, a, you know, that this is a focus of the business, I have them come to me with really good ideas that we can implement too. And, you know, things we may not have thought of before and, and so it's really helpful. I think it's helped us to get stronger and tighter and have a good focus. So if that would make sense. If everyone gets on board with it, then it would be a team effort and would make it easier for everyone involved. Oh, are you, okay. Is this organic? Is this biodynamic? Is this anything close to that? How does it fit into those two different practices? Yeah, I would- I would say that um, uh, audited sustainability program is more of a pragmatic and it, it is, you certainly could be organic or biodynamic and still have a, a SIP certification as well. We do not carry an organic or a biodynamic um, certification. Uh, in our climate, we're very near the ocean. We're four and a half miles from the coast and very foggy kind of uh, growing climate. Mm. Uh, organic is really difficult, and so we could farm organically, but it would require probably four or five more, like four or five times the application of uh, mildicide that we do right now. It would oh, wow. use chemicals that are harder on the environment, my soil, and my employees. So we choose to use really targeted um, techniques and a lot of cultural techniques, opening up the canopy to let a lot of air circulation get to the clusters um, rather than just spraying sulfur every week. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I noticed you were close to the coast and I was thinking about mold and it had to, has to be a problem there, especially with Pinot Noir and their clusters and stuff. So uh, I, I did notice though, that you mentioned somewhere I read that you have uh you know, the animals in the, in the vineyard, which sounds biodynamic, and some other things that you mentioned. That's why I was thinking, is this biodynamic? It just it sounds like some of the practices are right there. Yeah, we're not. And I've, I've actually made a bit of a study of biodynamics. I, I love to garden, and so I've um, used preps in gardening, and I've worked with a, a group at Cal Poly, uh, California Polytechnic State University has um, has kind of an experimental farm where they were doing quite a bit of prep um, making. So I'm interested, but I, um, I also, I also trained as a scientist. So I, I studied marine <laughs> biology initially. And I, I think that there's, um, there's probably a lot of things that have an effect, but maybe, maybe the biggest effect is that maybe biodynamics makes you listen a little bit closer to what's happening and spend a little bit more time um, understanding your, your site. And I think that we already do that and we're, we're trying to, you know, use use methods that make sense. But certainly, we are farming with cover crops that make sense um, for what we're trying to attain with the soil fertility. We are um, we have an insectary block where we're actively, you know, promoting positive um, insects that can compete against the pest insects that we have. We have uh, we're establishing a wildlife corridor right now to help. Um, Kind of like kind of keep the deer that are uh, predators of our property <laughs> over on their side of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a constant battle. <laughs> yeah, the deer, the gophers. You know, we're all of these things. Um, but we we just actually finished painting the new owl boxes that we're putting up. We try uh-huh. to circulate, put a few new ones up every year. And this is about the time that the owls are going to be looking for a new nest site. So we're going to get those up this week. Um, all those things are helpful, you know. All right. Well, it, you know, like you say, you, biodynamic is just really understanding 
nature and the nature's impact on your vineyard, and you all seem to be doing that now anyway. So anything short of just having a certification saying you are now biodynamic, it sounds like you're almost there as as far as the the understanding of the the correlation between nature and your vineyard and the people working it. Yeah. Yeah, we have neighbors that are farming biodynamically. Um, oh, do you? Yeah, oh. They're making great wines. Yeah. No, no, no that's, there's, they are popping up more and more. When we first started to talk about biodynamic on, on the program here, it was like, oh, eight, nine years ago, and it was hard to find anyone that did biodynamic farming, and now they're popping up everywhere. It's it's exciting to see it happen, you know, so. But no, uh, you uh, so the SIP certification. That again, congratulations on that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the winery. How many vineyards do you have? How many acres and and of what? Yeah, well, we have um, we have three sites. The original site is about a 100 acre uh, parcel. It was originally planted in 1997 by the previous owners. And it um, it has about 55 acres right now of Chardonnay Pinot Noir um, in about an equal split. And I really, really recently developed a small block of, of the upper part of the, the vineyard to Syrah. So we're planting wow. a Syrah Noir clone from the northern room. That's, um, so that's what we call Center of Effort 1. About in 2015, we had acquired our neighbor's property, which is adjoining just upslope from our property. And, um, in, you know, in this part of California waters, I was a question, and the Edna Valley, <laughs> it doesn't really have one big aquifer. It kind of has little pockets, right? And so right. we happen to have some really, really strong wells, whereas their property, they barely could, you know, they really didn't have enough for much more than just landscaping. And so when oh. we purchased the property, we kind of saw the potential of that site it really is um, It's kind of an extension of our very – we have almost a kind of sand dune soil, like very, very lean and very good for red wine grapes. And so on that property, we developed Grenache and Syrah and Mouved, so the classic uh, kind of southern Rhone varieties, and we plan to develop um, a red Rhone program there. Oh! First one, and we're, you know, we're moving in that direction with that part of the property. So it's going then to be a, one a, other. Uh, no, I'm just you're going to get away from just the Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and you're going to expand out to the Rhone varieties, and that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and our climate. I mean, we're one of we're the coolest um, climate growing region in California analytically, but I think more importantly, we're like the most moderate. So we have a a very very early bud break in the spring, maybe in late February. And wow. we harvest wash in you know right up against Thanksgiving, depending on the year. And so we have this really long um, period of growth that will allow us to grow cool climate varieties like Pinot Noir, but we also can do really beautiful Syrah and Grenache, but in the right location. Not not every location is suited for those later ripening wines. Uh-huh. And then you have one other vineyard you were starting to tell me about. We do. We have a so Bill Bill Swanson, the uh, the winery owner, his mother, who um, you know she was a little girl growing up on that vineyard in the Central Valley. She right. has a house about three miles away from the winery. I want to say, and when she moved into that place, um, she she told Bill that she wanted to have a few grapevines, and so Bill gave me the task of planting a, a vineyard for his mother. And we we looked at the site. It's really quite different than our site and decided that it was going to have to be a white wine variety. And so we chose Chenin Blanc. And it's, um, oh. I would say that this has become our most popular wine with our, uh, with our wine club members and visitors. It's um, delicate, beautiful, aromatic, and it, um, it produces well there. It, it's been really lovely to work with. Huh. So, you, you know, I like a Chenin Blanc, too. It's, it seems to be a grape that doesn't get enough recognition uh the chenin blancs are sort of the ugly redheaded stepsister when it comes to white wines and uh <laughs> you, you know you don't you know yeah, people I mean, say oh yeah they're so but, versatile 
you know, they're so versatile with food. They're, um, it, you know, traditional styles go from dry to off-dry to sweet wines or sparklers. So I, I think there was just a lot that we could do with that variety, and we knew that it would, it would love the climate. Oh, my gosh, I'm looking out, and I just saw a coyote just went right across the vineyard. <laughs> Hopefully he's eating some gophers. Yeah, there you go. That's that's what they're there for. Is eat the gophers. They they will do that. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Um, oh, oh wow. before I forget it too, and I was thinking about this earlier. Are are you affected any by the wildfires in California? We I don't I hope not. We did have some days that were pretty smoky here, and we are running analysis as we're as we're having our wines complete fermentation. But um, so far we look pretty good. We have had a few clients that have had wines that do appear, you know, to have some uh, some effect. And it, it, we have some other clients who have just canceled harvesting because clearly the, the fruit was not going to be useful. Oh, that's so sad. It really is so it's sad. So sad. Um, there was an article in, in the paper here just Sunday talking about some of the areas up there and how um, throughout California, mostly Sonoma, how so many vineyards just, they're just letting them go because they know that they are so, you know, the smoke has just gotten to them so badly that it's not going to do them any good to put the effort in to do it. And that just really, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. I really do understand that. So, but you haven't been affected. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. You're in a good spot too. You probably had the prevailing winds coming in, blowing the smoke toward the east. And so, we we did. There was we're sort of um, we're south of the Big Sur area. So if you imagine um, San Luis Obispo is the closest city to us, about five miles away, and Dolan mm-hmm. um, Fire burned about 130,000 acres, I believe, in the Big Sur wilderness. And that smoke kind of came right down the coast of, of the California, and it, there were a few days when it would just pop in and really choke our area. I think wow. Paso Robles, which is just over the mountains, had a little bit worse air quality. That's where my house is. And so there were days that it was much worse on that side of things. But um, I don't know. I think that relative to a lot of friends who just had no vintage or, you know, 20% of what they usually would do, it we kind of dodged a bullet here. But it, I this is kind of going to be a factor, you know, for it's a, it's as climate changes, as, um, you know, forests, we're surrounded by wilderness forests, it no. will continue to be an issue that we deal with. No, for a long time. How, I'm trying to put it in perspective. How far north are you of San Simeon Castle? We are actually south of San Simeon. Um, I bet it would take right. me about one hour to drive there, probably 45 miles up the coast. Oh, to the castle. Okay, Hearst Castle. Okay. I was yeah. I was thinking you were north. Oh, okay. So that puts you even more in perspective for me. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh. We, I would tell people that we're halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco and about halfway between Santa Barbara and Monterey. Right in the middle. Right in the middle of the coast there, you know, and close enough to the yep. coast to get the influence there, too. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So you're... Uh, when are you looking at harvesting and making wines out of the new Rhone grapes that you are planting? Well, we have the first little bits of, you know how a vineyard goes, like the first few years that you have a harvest, it's, just, it's yeah. not really at full maturity. Just let it grow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so we've made, we made rosé primarily last year. Um, the Syrah was only producing a small amount. Um, this year we have a decent crop and we will make some red wines, but we did have a heat spell that kind of scorched one side of the Syrah. And so we had, we had just the, you know, raisins on one side and unripe <laughs> fruit on the other side. Oh my so it's just like, what do you even do? So we, we actually sent a crew through, harvested the raisins. Um, they're um, fermenting them in, in barrels with the heads knocked out right now. And it's almost, 40 bricks like they're very very sweet so i think we have a dessert wine on our hands and as the ferments have started they just smell really exotic like kind of chocolate and pipe tobacco and you know rich ripe cherries so i think we might have something really interesting um and meanwhile we picked now the rest of the fruit as it attained full ripeness 
and those look like they're going to make, make really, really nice wines for us. It sounds like your raisin uh, wine there could be a good basis for a port. I think that we're going to head that way. I have a, I have a friend in Banyuls in the south, you know, south of France, up against the Spanish border, and so I sent her an email. At least, what do I do here? <laughs> you know, and yeah. she gave some advice. Yeah. So I think we're going to have something interesting with that higher bricks and the raisin. That sounds. I mean, uh, you know, I would I would be thinking port myself on that. That that's. Oh well, we can't call it port, but you know. Um, Wow, that that sounds uh, yeah, it sounds like fun. You know, <laughs> something there. We're gonna, but you we're do, gonna learn something for sure. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, that that port, or even uh, you know, uh, a very sweet dessert wine. But you know, with with the raisins, it sort of tints itself. And you mentioned the, the chocolate and the, the you know, you're you're describing port to me there. So, uh, yeah. But I've always liked a good port, so I I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that. You make in your um, I was going to ask in your winemaking, do you make have you made fortified wines in that style as well? I, I'm I'm no not in that style. I made a fortified wine uh, with s- strawberries and grapes, and I made a strawberry port. It wasn't real heavy. But it was sweet, and it was made with, you know, Florida strawberries. Very big seller. I, I sold a lot of it. Uh, and uh, I just, I I could not make a port like you have the potential to there. So that's why I added strawberries and did strawberries with it and came out with a, something a little bit unique in itself. But uh, cool. that's only only effort I ever had and it worked and it worked well for me so I, I stayed with that one and that one only but uh, I've always liked port and because of because of the grapes and Florida climate and all sorts of stuff I can get into it I could not make a classic port style but uh, the strawberry port was probably well many people said it was my signature wine yeah, wow. I would, wow. it was it was very very good, very and Mike used to enjoy it too. He it was one of his favorites, and so, uh, but yes, I like ports. Uh, so, uh, your uh, other wines, what you have currently, what you do now, you do Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Is, yeah, that's and, been the, the focus of the winery from the start, mostly because. You know, it was an existing vineyard planted in 1997, so it was already, you know, it had 10 or 11 years of age by the time that um, that I came to it. And so Chardonnay here, Chardonnay is the signature grape of the Edna Valley Appalachian. It just does really, really well here. On this property, we have a lot more kind of lean soils, almost what I would think of as red wine soils. They're a little bit limiting on canopy growth. And so our, our Chardonnay is spectacular, but it's very high in natural acid. You know, being so near the ocean, it protects natural acid, but in our case, it's almost, almost to a fault. So a lot of my winemaking is trying to build some richness and fullness onto the frame of the, of the wine. And it, I love the acidity. In, in white wines, that's really the skeleton of the wine. Like, that's what holds a wine together and gives it, you know, its longevity in, in the bottle. Um, and so we've used a lot of special techniques. So we, we use really, really long surlease aging. We leave the wines without SO2 for a lot of the early part of their life and let the oxygen really, really work on the wine and develop it. We have, um, we've looked a lot at cooperage. So we use, we use French oak like as, as a majority of the cooperage, but also concrete vessels. So we're using the egg-shaped oh. concrete vessels. And then um, acacia wood barrels. So a lot of diversity to try and build layers and complexity into the wine. Do you transfer them from the different barrels, or do you just have one that's aged in the the concrete eggs and one that's aged in the big ones and one that's aged in oak, or do you transfer them around? Well, the, the signature wine is called Center of Effort, and it's just our top estate wine. That's probably the most diverse. It uses a lot of those techniques. They're all brought together to make one kind of seamless wine. 
But then uh-huh. on top of that, probably our most popular white wine has been uh, a Chardonnay called Giallo Solare, which means, I think it means like solar yellow, and it is entirely fermented in concrete vessels. Uh-huh. And so what happens is the concrete acts much like a barrel in allowing a lot of oxygen to move into the wine and help to develop it. It acts like a barrel in having, you know, a good ratio of the lees or the sediments of the yeast in contact with the wine, and they give a lot of the flavor and texture back to the Chardonnay. And yet it leaves the fruit completely pure. So there's not any overlay of oak, and they're just, they're really beautiful wines. It, It shows like this white peach, the kind of tangerine citrus fruit character that we have in our, our Chardonnay here. And they're beautiful wines. I, I love that wine. You don't oak a lot then? We've gone further away from oak as the concrete has become a bigger part of our our program. And on top of that, we're choosing coopers that are not very overt. So I want barrels that have a little bit more freshness and a little bit more maybe raw oak character and less of the toasty vanilla with our, our wines are a little bit more kind of citrus and savory. And so I need, um, I need barrels that will work with that and make for a wine that, um, that shows itself and shows the, shows the property very clearly. Well, good for you. I, you know, I, totally, I, yeah, yeah it's, it's just totally different than our Pinot Noir barrel program, which does kind of go for more long toasting, smooth, sweet kind of mocha and and cocoa tones, and and that's what works in the in the Pinot Noir on this property. Well, the Pinot Noir would, but the, the, I, I was saying, good for you on the Chardonnay, not over oaking it, because so often, especially if a wine is as acidic as you were saying, this one comes in at winemakers will throw oak in it to try to balance out that acid and all it does is just give you oaky acid and i'm glad you don't try to play with it and, and you know you know yeah. what i mean yeah and uh, i think there's enough winemakers doing that style of chardonnay and i think chardonnay has become a really style driven wine i yes. really want to take the approach of what you know what's special about this place and that's that's really the the key here when we have an estate project what's the voice that the vineyard has and, and sort of try to highlight that rather than enforce my will or idea of what it should be. Yeah. And, and uh, Chardonnay's come in so many different styles. Now, do you, uh, do you do a, a monolactic on it or not? Yeah, we, we do, but we try to choose. It's funny. We're all native yeast on most of our winemaking here. But for oh. the malolactic, I, I choose a really selected, very clean strain because I want the acid reduction and the, the richness, but I don't want to influence the flavor too much. Yeah, and, you know, the you know you start getting too much of a malolactic fermentation on it that just changes the Chardonnay completely. I, I remember people used to come into the winery and go, oh, I like a big buttery Chardonnay. I said, well, then you don't like Chardonnay. You like to have yourself a spoon of butter. You can buy that at, you know, grocery <laughs> store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest compliment is when someone says, I really, I don't usually like Chardonnay, but this is delicious. Like, that's my favorite thing to hear. And, you know, without doing a heavy malolactic and by letting it stay a little bit uh, acidic, you are showing the Chardonnay as it should be shown, not creating something that isn't. And so, you know, congrats to you on that, I think. It's best way to present a Chardonnay. The Pinot Noir. Uh, and we've talked to people before about Pinot Noirs, and we, we went into different clones and all that. Uh, you clone-driven, or do you have the ones that you have planted there are a, a specific clone, and you've just stayed with that style? I mean, it's a Pinot Noir well, seems to be a, a, yeah, a different breed. Clones are definitely, you know, important in Pinot Noir, and yet I don't think that we're – I wouldn't say we're clonally driven. When I when I took over the estate here, we had three clones of Pinot Noir planted. They were um, Clone 23 or Mariah Feld, which is not 
It was brought to the U.S. as a sparkling wine clone, and it's a pretty loose cluster. It has the advantage of really drying out quickly in our climate. So if there's morning fog, um, as soon as the sunlight hits it, it kind of dries up the cluster. And so that's been really a strong kind of structure piece, but not a real aromatic variety. Then we have um, clone 115, which is one of the Dijon clones. And that's mm -hmm. a pretty good all-around workhorse, a little bit more like classic, pretty little small pine cone shaped Pinot Noir cluster, but it's pretty tight and it can have problems with, you know, bunch rot in the middle and um, it's a little bit more delicate, but it's, it's really perfumed and kind of an all rounder. And then there's one other clone here, um, clone 2A or Vadensville. And Vadensville is not really well loved very many places other than um, when I worked in Oregon, I saw people loved it in certain situations there. And then here on the Central Coast, it was, I know it was the early chunk of, like, Gennacito and um, of Tally Vineyards. Like, that, that was kind of an early building block for those vineyards. And so mm -hmm. those were the three we had to start with. And as we've done redevelopment, we've looked, at, we've looked at different clones and brought some different clones in, but maybe more so, like, rootstocks that are suited to the site, approaching the the vine density, so we're going a lot denser in our planting and oh, yeah. changing row orientation as well. Oh. Th that and just seems it, seems odd. And only because, you know, you say changing row orientation, it seems odd that you're so close to the coast and you will be getting a prevailing coastal wind in most of the time and changing row orientation. And how is that going to affect the Everything. Yeah, well, um, in in this valley, at the time that our original vineyards were planted, so in 97, the prevailing wisdom was like an, an eight foot by five foot um, row spacing, which left room for the tractors of the day that were getting to be more narrow and powerful, and then, mm -hmm. and then running the rows north-south. And the problem with that is it gives you a – fruit zone that has morning sun and a fruit zone that has afternoon sun. And when you go through and try to um, balance the light on the clusters, you get really different effects on morning and afternoon sun. And so yeah, yeah. in a lot of our new red wine plantings, we've taken the row direction. We've, well, first thing, we've increased the number of vines. So we've gone down to a six-foot row and mm. a, a three-foot spacing between the vines. Wow. So over double the number of vines per acre. The idea is we want to ask less of each vine. And, and so we're looking for very high quality, but, um, but not giving up a lot of the productivity of the vineyard. And point of reference, like Burgundy is one meter by one meter. So they almost have double the density yet of what we're doing in our densest vineyard. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we're taking I'm... the row direction to 27 degrees. And what that does is when we do get these kind of heat storm events in the fall, it leaves the clusters in the shadow of their own canopy at the hottest time of day. And so that's mm -hmm. been really key in just being protective and yet opening the, the fruit zone so that there's a lot of air circulation and, and uh, drying that can happen there. So it's been really good for, for wine quality. Yeah, that, I, I can see. You know, that just surprised me. That's awful close centers you have on those plants. I didn't realize that, you know, Burgundy was that much closer. I always thought they were spaced a little bit more than that. Um, I, the vineyard I had, it was, you know, three-foot centers, and I almost thought about going a little bit wider, but it's so hot, I needed the air to flow through it, and and the humidity and all that was bad. But, yeah, yeah. interesting. Well, that's your one. I think that we all have to kind of adapt to what our local condition is. And that's, that's exactly what this is all about learning that. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, and I, I like the approach too of, of doing some heavy pruning and you're still getting your same harvest, but it's not putting as much effort into each of the vines to try to produce it all. So yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> as if you need my blessing for that or anything. Um, the uh, uh, I, I noticed here that you have uh, some 2015 Chardonnay, 16, uh, 14 Pinot Noir, uh, and a Magnum. Uh, 
17 Chardonnay. What what do you have out now? What is it the 17 you have out now? Yeah, I think that we're we're um releasing let's see the top one the center of effort we'd like to hold it in the cellar for a little bit of time with the high natural acidity the wine's just un un kind of unwind a little bit slowly. There are, the top wines are 20 months in Elevage before we bottle and so you know, they're already, they've already had a little bit longer time than most um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So we're rolling out 16 vintage right now um, with the Effort, which is, Effort is sort of our second wine, kind of our everyday wines. Those mm-hmm. are the 2017 vintage currently. And then we have a number of special bottlings that may be, I think we have some 2015 and 16 um, wines. There may be a 17 here and there as well to kind of, um, it kind of depends on the on where the wine needs to release. And the Chenin Blanc, we're, we're looking forward to the 2020 vintage wine next. So we're oh, currently yeah. sold oh, that, out, but we'll, yeah. Young, get it out there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. So the uh, so you're about, you know, two to three years behind on your uh, wines getting them out on the shelf from the uh, from the vintage state then, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I have 2019 wines in right now in barrel that will be evaluated in January and bottled in April, and we wouldn't expect to release those for at least another another year. So mm-hmm. we'll be in through the 17 and the 18 wines before those hit the market. Oh, okay, very good. The uh, you told me all about Chardonnay and the, the taste characters and all that, but then we started talking about the clones on the Pinot Noirs and. I didn't uh, give you a chance to talk about the characteristics and all that of the Pinot Noir. How do you make your Pinot Noirs? What are the characteristics? What uh, What are you looking for? Yeah, well, our our estate um, it's mostly an old sand dune that was laid down by the ocean long ago, and so you can imagine trying to grow anything in sand. It's um, you know it's pretty limiting in terms terms of vigor, and so there's a lot of sunlight exposure and a lot of concentration in our fruit. So I would say, like, where our Chardonnay kind of comes off as, you know, Chablis acidity with California fruit, the, the <laughs> Pinot Noir is pure California. You know, it's, um, the Pinot really wants to be rich and kind of big, bold, dark in color, which is not always common for a Pinot Noir. And so right. a lot of – in Pinot Noir, a lot of it is, um, you know, going against just a straight fruit-driven wine. I am doing a lot of whole cluster fermentation – native yeast, um, and using oxygen to let the wine develop as well. But with, oh. the, with the aim of having a balanced, you know, I want a wine that has fruit character and some oak as a part of the wine, but also herbal and savory kind of all in balance. So that's, oh, that's, that's the mind's eye. That sounds delicious uh, for a Pinot Noir. Uh, I, I like a good Pinot Noir. Do you use just one vineyard for... Your Pinot Noir, I mean, like your 2017 effort Pinot Noir, is that a single vineyard vintage, or do you do any blending from others? Well, no, it's a, it's all estate, so we grow it all on this property. And, you know, I think you could look at our estate, and we break it into blocks. So we have seven different blocks of Pinot Noir. However, we break it down further into sub-blocks and really farm on a vine-by-vine basis. So when oh. it comes time to harvest... I'll have as many as probably 25 to 35 individual fermentation lots of Pinot Noir that are from different picks or different sections of each vineyard. There's sections where we have like a Pinot Noir planted on a slope that has very shaly kind of rocky soil on the top and then pretty rich loamy stuff down on the, on the shoulders. And, and it may roll over from like a morning facing slope on one side to an afternoon facing slope on the other. And so we've split that up into as many as like six different harvests over the course of two weeks. And, wow. um, and so we kind of just really attend to what, you know, we're, we're harvesting about maybe four tons of Pinot Noir in a normal harvest night. And that's about what my crew in the winery can manage to, um, to sort and process. And we would ferment in roughly one and a half ton fermentation lots. So we end up with, a lot of complexity and a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we then are able to put back together 
you know, much later in the life of the wine. Oh, okay. So you, you basically keep them separate up to the end till you get the flavor profile that you're looking for, that you uh, are uh, trying to achieve on each one. Yeah, I mean, I think of our uh, like our blending process, it starts out pretty subtractive. So, like, we'll start to do triage tasting early next year of the new wines, and as things just aren't working, they won't progress in our top program. And then as we get to the end of next um, summer, we'll select the, the top wines that we want to hold for making the center of effort bottling. We'll put those into a cold the cold cellar and hold it over winter. And then... Um, then in January we'll come back, and this is when we start like the additive process where we we choose what's going to be the core part of the blend, and then we look at the the pieces that can add some nuance and some you know layers to that blend, and we'll get to what the final wine will be. And so it's it's a long process, and we get to know the wines really really well by the time we get all the way to the end. Oh, you you have to. You can't you can't just expect to one to be the same year after year. I mean, when you start to evaluate them, do you keep some of them that aren't oaked uh, so that, or do you oak all of your Pinot Noirs? I'm, I'm just looking at something here. Do you keep anything that is unoaked for blending purposes or do you just flat out oak everything? We generally go to French oak for everything, but oh, yeah. um, okay. a lot of that'll be neutral or older barrels. We have recently started to experiment with holding Pinot Noir in concrete vessels as well. And uh-huh. so we had just our first full year of watching that. It was really interesting. Like the wine was quite different in how it progressed in the in the concrete. And I think that we saw kind of a greater aromatic range in concrete than we did in, in the same wine in barrel. So no, I, I think imagine. we learned a little bit. We'll incorporate that eventually. Yeah, that, that sounds like you know a, a nice approach to Pinot Noir, something a little bit more aromatic as opposed to the to the oak. <laughs> you know, not that yeah. I'm not a fan of oak, but it just you know sometimes I, I think oak is overused in, in different wines, and so I hate to see it destroy a good fruity wine by oaking it because the book says that wine is supposed to be oaked. You know, and it just drives me crazy. So. Yeah, I, I can agree with that, sure. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, the way I go. Uh, the, uh, well, Mike, do you have any questions, anything uh, for Nathan here? Any Anything that you've observed you want to ask him while we've gone through this? No, um, I'm good so far. I've just been uh, taking the usual notes. So, yeah, everything's, everything's good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um Nathan, the uh, you're in the Edna Valley AVA, right? We are. Okay, and uh, which is part of California, and is that within the uh, Central Coast AVA also? Yeah, it is. Um, you can think of um, if you're traveling up the California coast, let's say if you're leaving Los Angeles, you're going to go through Santa Barbara wine country, so that would be Santa Rita Hills and uh, San Inez Valley, Santa Maria Valley. And after you cross the Santa Maria Valley, uh, the Santa Maria River, you'll enter San Luis Obispo County. And Edna Valley is just uh, basically just kind of tucked in from the ocean, um, right by the city of San Luis Obispo, which opens out at Morro Bay. Um, and then if you go up over the coastal mountains, just 20 miles, you're in the Paso Robles Appalachian, which is known for very big, rich, you know, heavy reds. So we have mm-hmm. like this in our region, we have kind of the best of this, this coastal, really aromatic, you know, lighter style wines. And then you have really rich, full red wines just over the hill. Yeah. I, you know, Paso Robles, we've talked to a couple of winers, Paso Robles recently and, uh, and their their big reds and big Pinot Noirs and stuff like that. They they have the heat and they you know play it to the max on it when they do those. Uh, is there any other wineries right around in the uh, Edna Valley AVA, or are you the only one? Oh no, there's um yeah, there's probably 20 wineries here. Yeah, historically, wow. historically, like Edna Valley Vineyards was the most known you know winery in this valley. It was a partnership between the Niven family who planted the Paragon Vineyard and then the, the Shalone um, 
winery, a really famous Pinot Noir producer. And so that kind of was one of the early anchors of our valley. It kind of got a lot of renown and sort of drove the planting of a lot of uh, Chardonnay here. And then mm. also uh, Chamisol uh, Vineyards was an early player, and they still make beautiful wines. Uh, but also like Alban Vineyards, one of the most renowned of the um, – of the Rhone, uh, the early kind of Rhone proponents in the area, they're located really near us as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are 20, 20 ish wineries here in this valley, and a lot of other wineries further afield use some grapes for their for their wines as well. Oh wow, I didn't realize how many. I lived in California a number of years ago, and used to go up and down the coast and be in, in the wineries and you know Paso Robles and different areas. And the valley, I think, had two wineries when I was out there in the in the early mid seventies and uh Postal Ropos had like maybe a half a dozen and it, it was just last time I was out there, you know, a few years ago it was just like, oh my gosh, look at this. I just like everywhere there was wineries and that surprised me when you said there's so many of them there in Edna Valley because I only remember two or three of them when I was when I was there in the mid seventies. So it yeah. yeah everything grows yeah. up. Uh well I Give me uh, information on membership to your club. Give me how to contact you, Facebook, emails, phone numbers, uh, how to get a hold of Center of Effort Winery and Wines, just all the stuff so that the listeners out there can add Center of Effort Wine and your new SIP certification wines onto their list of wines to purchase. Uh, give me all the stuff you can. For sure. It's fairly easy because almost all of our social media and our, our website address is just coewine. Uh, so coewine.com will take you to our website. I think at coewine will show you Instagram or Facebook. And um, it's a great time to kind of look at what we've been doing, maybe at our Facebook page or on Instagram because my team has built a whole series of videos. So it's a little video series we've been releasing every Friday called Harvest Up Close, and it takes you through all the steps of harvest, like a lot of the decisions that we make from night harvesting out in the vineyard, you know, the way that we do our fermentations in Pinot Noir. Uh, I know that we're going to have a Chardonnay video coming up pretty soon that will show the concrete eggs and the fermentation inside. So we've had a lot of fun doing this, and I think it's um, – you know, especially during during this time when it's hard to kind of travel anywhere, you know, very far afield, you can kind of just see what's happening here in one country and um, and, and what, you know, the thought and craft that goes into what we do. Is those archived so people can go back and check the old ones? Yeah, they are. They're on our – I think they're on a Vimeo page or something like this. I'm not press, <laughs> the most press savvy on, on that. But, yeah. Press yeah. and media. That's I, <laughs> That's the page they're on. Um, the uh, do you have a uh, a blog or anything like that that uh, anyone puts out out of there? We haven't we haven't done that. I um, I'd love to. I'd love to write, but I just find that it's really hard to commit to it. Um, you know, on a regular basis. I think it's something that that maybe we're doing a video version of that right now, and hopefully we'll uh-huh. keep that going. There's certainly a lot of topics to address. And we are going to, um, as we're developing our insectary, we are planning to have either an Instagram page or a, a website so that people can kind of see pictures of the plants that we're planting. They can see the beneficial insects that, we, um, that we're hosting there. And, you know, hopefully we'll have some families of owls that move into our owl boxes. So yeah. the intent would be that we're going to kind of showcase a lot of our sustainability actions and, and just um, – I think that people don't realize just how much nature and how much interconnectedness there is in a vineyard. And we're, it, it's even good for us just to take the time to notice it and, and show it to people as well. As a case in point, oh, wow, there's a coyote running across the vineyard. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good example. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, that's, it's great. And, you know, I just, I've looked at some of your media uh, things, your your little 
videoettes, if you will, and they're great. Uh, so anyone out there, you know, by all means, check those out. And uh, Center of Effort Winery, they are located in uh, Central Valley, California. Well, not Central Valley, the Central Coast in California. And they uh, just got a new SIP certification, which, again, congratulations on that. That seems like an effort that is well worth the time and it's going to reap you rewards on that without question because it's going to end up creating better wines i'm sure it will so uh, nathan thank you for taking your time to join us tonight and uh good luck on finishing your harvest and your next vintage and if anyone wants to get a hold of you they have a membership club too which uh, it's on their web page. Yeah, you can, you'll find it there. I think it's yeah. coewine.com and a forward slash join, and that that should get you there. Yeah, and so you can you can become members. Wines are reasonably priced. You're not going to be spending you know hundreds of dollars for a bottle. They they are reasonably priced, especially the the uh, uh, lower tier ones that he was talking about, and you can get. You know, once a little bit more expensive and you're paying for quality, keep that in mind, too. So, you know, you got the quality. But, Nathan, again, thank you very much for the time that you took tonight to join us. And uh, very interesting and informative. I enjoyed the conversation. I was looking forward to it, and it was not disappointing. So uh, take yep, care of yourself. You and uh, Johnny, Mike, thanks very much. No, you're quite welcome. And uh, if we're ever out in that area, we will definitely be stopping by and visiting you. And you'll Absolutely. be welcomed. Yeah, we'd love to see you. Great. Thank you very much. Have a good evening now. All right. Good night. Good night. Bye now. And Nathan is oh. gone. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. It was interesting. You know, he's bringing up some points there. You know about growing in the central or in the central coast. I didn't know about and a little bit different orientations mm -hmm. on the vineyards and stuff like that. That was interesting. And uh, yeah. that SIP certification. Oh my gosh! I mean, very yeah. involved. Yeah, very involved. Very... First one, first one that we've heard about. The uh, first time we've mm -hmm. heard about the SIP certification. And uh, yeah. so that's something to keep an eye on. See if we see anybody else out there. So again, Nathan, thank you for. Uh, your time tonight, and we really do appreciate it. Uh, next week, we have our Halloween show. We'll be talking about haunted wineries and haunted... Well, Joy Neighbors is her guest, and she works at a a brewery now, I think, or a bourbon factory or something. I'm not sure what she said. I can't remember right offhand. But she said that is also haunted. So... You know, it's all about wine, but we'll be talking about ghosts and places that are haunted and all that. And whether you believe it or not, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of places in this country that are haunted. We'll be uh, mentioning some of them and all that uh, next week. Oh, yeah. So tune in, and then we got guests coming up in November. I also want to give you a tease here. I found a very good article on Pinot Noir clones. And it talks about the different types of clones and where they come from and all that. And the next show, we don't have a guest, which I think is going to be the first Thursday in November. Uh, I don't think we have a guest that show. Maybe we do. I don't know. But first show, we don't have a guest. I'll talk about that, the Pinot Noir clones, because it's interesting, really, really interesting about all the clones and how they come about and and why they are and all that. So that's something to come up. But next week, Joy's going to be joining us, and we're looking forward to that. She's always a good conversation and always a good yeah. guest. And so uh, she'll be on next week. Yeah, looking forward to that. We, uh, we've always talked about cemeteries and some of the places that she's been to and, and – uh, well, here's some updates, I'm sure, because it has been a while. So that'll, it has. That'll be good. Almost mm -hmm. three years? I, I think, wow. I think it's been three yeah. years since she's been on. Wow. 
look that up, check and see, but I think it's been three years because I think it's been a couple of years now. We've just slid right through October and didn't do our, our uh, haunted shows. And so, yeah. uh, so. <laughs> the uh, anniversary from this year, I think we forgot that or, or it was late or something. I don't know yeah, what happened yeah. then, but. <laughs> so yeah, really, it, it happens. And I do have to point out also that I made it to the whole show without Blog Talk Radio cut me out. So yeah, you, know, you did not have to. Next week will be totally different. Yeah, probably will. Yeah, probably will. But it was always good to get through one show without being cut off by Blog Talk Radio on there. It's fantastic. I just realized when you said it, I go, "Oh my gosh, you didn't disconnect or anything." Yeah, so, I, was, I was on the whole show. Good. So, so okay. that's it. Um, and we will see you all next Thursday, uh, October the 29th. And yes. uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, have a great week. Be safe and um, enjoy it. Thank you uh, to Nathan Carlson. And uh, it, it was very enjoyable. We'll see you all. Thank yes, you. Yes, we do. Thank you. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, link to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook. Or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.